0: Oh, good morning, Grace Fellowship. Wonderful to be with you this morning on this rainy morning. It's always interesting to see how you're configured. This side's like four this week, and sometimes it's empty over there, and I wonder what that's about. I'm just rambling. I'm tired this morning. you ever hear Tree Frogs? We have a swimming pool, like right by our bedroom window, and it's mating season. Oh my. Are they not doing their thing out there? It's incredible. <laughs> they are yelling at each other, and I could not go to sleep last night. Like 1 o'clock, I was stuffing stuff in my ears. Nothing was happening, helping. I finally got my son's noise-counseling earphones and listened to white noise to go to sleep. So I have no idea what I'm going to say this morning. Just so you know, that's up front. That's my <laughs> disclaimer. Excited to be with you as we continue in our series on loving a difficult people and experiencing setbacks and becoming love. Anybody still working on that? Okay. Yeah, I think we'll be working on that until we go home for sure. The question is, are we making progress? I don't know about you, but often I want these things just to go away all at once, right? I'm a strong believer in good biblical counseling. You know, I've had numerous counselors throughout my lifetime who have helped me work on stuff on the inside. And I remember one, she was exceptionally talented. And she could always tell when I was wanting things to go away just like that. And she would listen very carefully and she would pick up this little glass wand that was sitting on her desk and she would touch me on the shoulder and she would say, do you feel any different? I would tell her to shut up. And what she was saying was true. You know, we want these things to resolve all at once and they don't, but if you're making progress then you have hope in the Lord. And praise God, it's only because of him that any of us make progress. Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about difficult people. Next week we're going to talk about different people. Um, Sometimes people are just different in your life, and you encounter them to be difficult. And that's often because you're the difficult person, right? Um, But today we are going to talk about truly difficult people. Um, By the way, all of us are difficult people. One is sitting in your seat right now. And we're going to look at um, Psalm 1 and talk about three different types of difficult people and then three different postures. Would you be kind enough to join me as I pray? Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness to us today. Uh, Lord, I entrust myself to you, uh, you now. You, this was your idea that I get up here today. And so, Lord, you're the one who's going to have to speak because, as always, I have nothing to offer in and of myself. But you are the faithful one. You are the one who is love. You are the one that has told us, by, all, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples and that you love one another. God, Help us not just to learn about love today, but help us to become love today. We thank you, Father, that those of us who call on you in spirit and in truth are blessed with you living inside of us and expressing yourself in such incredible ways. We do pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Just by my show of hands. How many are with us Thursday night? And Can the lights go up for me a little bit? It's just too dim. I can't really see things very well. Okay, wonderful. Did you have a good time? oh my gosh, Thursday night was amazing. It really was by the grace of God. It's an incredible time that we had with two other kingdom expressions and then many other expressions came and joined us as well for the National Day of Prayer. Um, So we really um, believe that we're going to be moving forward in that. Please be praying as I continue to meet with Pastor Tony and Pastor Orlando um, from New Covenant Community Church and then also from Door of Salvation, Puerta de Salvacion Church in um, York. By the way, I'll be teaching on differences next week. The following week, Pastor Tony Cease, who was there Thursday, he'll be coming and preaching for us that Sunday. And then um, the following week, then Pastor Orlando will be with us that week as well. So, and he'll be here with an interpreter. He'll uh, speak or preach in Spanish, but then he'll have an interpreter, which is really something to get used to. I, I had to get used to that. They were interpreting for me Thursday night, and you know, I have a tendency to run on a little bit, and so. We're all um, growing. Okay, so where was I? Okay, yeah, now, the the series, um, you know, uh, the scripture says love one another, and so a lot of people in the Christian faith have heard them say this before, well, I'm supposed to love my Christian brother or sister, but I don't know about all those other people, And, and Jesus does not leave us that wiggle room. He doesn't leave us room to say that. He says, no, you're called to love everybody always. He says, even love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Do good to those who treat you in a way that is evil, Um, love people the way that I love people. Now, Jesus Christ loves everybody always. And I'm gonna lay a little theology out here because, you know, some of you define yourself as Calvinists, and some of you define yourselves as Arminians. I am a Calvinian. (laughs) The Calvinist, you know, believes in tulip, five points, and I won't go into all that kind of stuff, but they believe in election, God's sovereignty, which I believe in too, but they believe that only the elect are the ones that Jesus Christ died for. I don't believe that. I believe Jesus Christ died for once and for all, for all people. And yet I knew the scripture says we are chosen. So I embrace that part. We are chosen, but we also have a choice. The scripture says that too. So I embrace both and I go, God, I I really don't know, but you do. Your ways are higher than my ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how high your ways are above my ways. But I believe this, God loves everybody always. The question is, whether we will respond to his love. Will we accept his love in such a way that it changes us so that we love everybody always just the way that he does? The question is, what does that love look like, especially when you're loving difficult people? Now, look, difficult people fall into all kinds of categories, but this morning I'm going to give you three. And I'm not going to give them to you. God has given to you through Psalm 1. So let's read Psalm 1 together, please. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is on the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Everything he does prospers, not so with the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. You see, the scripture here is laying out three types of difficult people that you and I are and will encounter. So as I talk about the wicked this morning, the sinners this morning, and those who are the mockers, you have to understand that you fall into all three categories. The only thing for you, if you are in Christ Jesus, is that these things no longer define you. That's not your identity. You see, in Christ I am a son of the Most High God. I am a saint who sins. I am no longer defined by my sinning. I'm defined by Jesus Christ in me. Amen? Amen. So, if you're in Christ Jesus and you're here, you are not only going to contend with people who give you the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners nor sit in the seat of mockers, but you're going to have a tendency to give others counsel of the wicked. You're going to have a tendency to stand in the way of sinners. You're going to have a tendency to sit in the seat of mockers. Why? Because you have still something called the flesh. You have the spirit of God living inside of you, but you still have this remnant of the old person living inside of you too. That's called the flesh. And the flesh seeks that which is um, contrary to the spirit, and the spirit that which is contrary to the flesh. So they are at war with each other. You've heard of wars being fought all around the world. You've heard of ancient wars and contemporary wars. My dad fought an incredible war called World War II. And yet there's a war going on in your seat right now it's inside of you. Now, if Jesus lives inside of you, he is the victor. No question about it. But the question is, how much victory will you have in him today if you let him rule and reign in your life? If you submit yourself to his spirit rather than grieving his spirit, then he will rise up in you. But that choice is yours. Still, we must understand that there are people around us that fall into these three categories. And the scripture says this, don't. Now look, a lot of people think that God's word is just filled with a bunch of don'ts. It's not. It is filled with don'ts, but it's also filled with do's. But the don'ts are very important because God is giving us boundaries. Say this out loud, I need godly boundaries. This notion that somehow, if you're a Christian, you can't say no to people is a bunch of malarkey. Say this after me. I can say no. no. You see, no is a one-word sentence. It has a period after it, and sometimes it needs no further explanation. No. I will not do that. Why? Because I belong to the Son of God. Because I am a son of God. Because I, that doesn't fit with who I am. And God is saying here, don't do some of these things. Why does God put don'ts in the scripture? One, God hates sin. Say that after me. We're going to make it more interactive this morning just because I'm so tired. <laughs> God, hates God hates sin. God loves, people. God loves people. Sin people. Sin hurts people. So do you get it? You see, God's don'ts are because he loves you, and he hates sin. Why does he hate sin? Because sin hurts people. So he loves people. It's all love. So when God says to you, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Don't stand in the way of sinners. Don't sit in the seat of mockers. He's saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. Get it straight. I'm giving you rules that liberate you, laws that liberate you. I'm asking you to walk with me in such a way that it will bring freedom to you. Now, God knows this. If you entrust yourself to the people around you more than you entrust yourself to him, it will hurt you bad. That's what boundaries, godly boundaries are called. You should never entrust yourself to the people around you to a greater extent than you're entrusting yourself to God. You see, you've just been duped into thinking that somehow, once you got married, I can fully entrust myself to this person. Now they're responsible for the care of my soul. How's that working out for you? Look, I have a wonderful marriage, and my marriage is great. I wouldn't treat it for anybody else's dysfunctional marriage out there. I honestly wouldn't. But Tracy will never be enough for me, and I will never be enough for her. This is the one thing that the man that I still remember who married us, his name was Pat Goodman. He's an incredible man of God. He married Tracy and I, and it's something that I've said at every marriage ceremony I've performed. He looked at me, stealing in the eyes, and he goes, Jeff, as much as Tracy loves you and as much as you love her, she will never be enough for you, Jeff. And you will never be enough for her. The best thing you can do for Tracy is to love Jesus Christ with all your heart. He was pointing to this truth that we need God, and we can't substitute him. For people, it just doesn't work. Look, Jesus had boundaries. Jesus is this amazing man, and when he walked here on planet Earth, he had incredible boundaries. You know why? He ended up doing many things that people did not want him to do. So people would say, please stay with us. He'd say, no, i got to go. People would say, please get out of here. He'd say, no, i got to stay. Why? Because he was listening to his Father in heaven. You see, he didn't allow people to determine what he did. He listened to his Father in heaven. He said, I only do what he's doing. I'm just watching him. I'm just listening to him, and I'm just following after him. And he takes some people off. Listen to what happened here. John 23, things were getting kind of heated. Everybody was celebrating Jesus. This is when, you know, it was a high point. This is when he could have became the rock star. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at Passover festival, people saw the signs he was performing, and they believed in his name. And they were wanting to kind of take him away and make him the king that they wanted him to be. They didn't see him as a king that died on a cross. They saw him as a king that immediately restored rule to Israel and took it away from the Romans. And they wanted to make him the kind of king that they wanted him to be. He said, no, I came with a specific purpose. But listen to what it said. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Can I tell you what's in each person? A big sucking sound. Make a big sucking sound with me. One, two, three. You know why? You were made for God. At the fall, you were separated from him. You've been wandering around looking for him. Even if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I can guarantee you you're looking for God. You're just looking for him in the wrong places. And even the best of us who are in Christ, when we have a relationship with him, we still get duped into thinking that these tangible image bearers around us are somehow going to fill that vacuum in our soul. And so we look to you. I look to you in some ways to say, hey, make me whole completely. But here's the problem. You can't. And I get duped into believing you can. And you do it too. You see, every single one of us has this vacuum-shaped hole in our soul that only God himself can fill. That's what Pascal said. And yet, yet, we go around looking for it to be filled in people. Jesus knew all people. He knew there was a big sucking sound in each one of them. He knew if he entrusted himself to them, to a greater extent than he was entrusting himself to God in heaven, he would fail in his mission. And he was not going to do that. And the same goes for you and for me. So godly boundaries is a good thing. God says at times, don't do that. No, you'll be hurting yourself. Don't give yourself over to that person. No, that's not the way to go. But he also follows it up with some do's, and I love that about God. You see, there's many things that the Scripture tells us to do, more than he tells us not to do. But listen to what he says here. Blessed is the man or the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight, he says, is on the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Everything he does prospers. How many of you love trees? Oh my gosh, I love trees. You climbed one recently? Dude, awesome. You're like a professional climber person. You are. Thanks for doing it for the rest of us, you know. Did you jump in leaves recently? We don't have many of those right now. When was the last time you jumped in a pile of leaves? Don't you think we need to become more playful? We've lost our playfulness. You see, when we we trust Jesus and we walk into life in him, he makes us happy. Now, I know some of the theologians are out there. Well, not always. No, I understand what you're saying. But he fills us with joy. Do you know what the word blessed in the Hebrew means? Happy. Happy is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. He says, look, I've written you a love letter. This book is a love letter to you from God. It's the most profound and beautiful love letter you will ever receive, and it can only be understood by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. You see, you know people have taken this thing and done all kinds of heinous evils with the words contained in it, right? You know why they have? Because they didn't have the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God speaks through the Word of God to show the love of God. This is a love letter. So he says, look, if you meditate on my word, if you drink my word, if you eat my word, if you take my love letter in, you will be blessed, you will be fulfilled, you will be filled with contentment, you will have joy, you will have peace that surpasses all understanding. And no one, nothing can take that away from you. Amen? Now look, let me tell you why it's so important that you find your happiness in Jesus. It is your greatest defense Against difficult people. For when you have joy in Jesus, you can become unoffendable. It's really quite something. It's true. Joy overwhelms you, and you become more resistant to being offended. How many of you have been offended in the last week? How many of you have been offended several times in the last week? Every married person, raise your hand. So... You know, offense is a big thing in the culture right now. You do know that, right? People are getting offended at everything. <laughs> I like the color blue. Why well, I find that offensive. <laughs> why? Well, because I'm a yellow person. You said you like blue. Did you not like yellow too? No, no, I like yellow too. I just like blue better. I'm so offended by that. You see, we're just highly offendable. You know why you're so offendable? Because we're not happy in God. When you're happy in God... You don't personalize the things that other people say so much. You you have this way of allowing things to bounce off of you, and only the things that God is saying to you kind of come in. Now, it doesn't mean you don't get hurt. It just means you rebound much faster. And you have the Spirit of God in you and around you protecting you. I had dinner with a friend recently. This guy does not agree with a lot of what I believe. How many of you are Facebook friends of mine? You know that I do post some controversial things to Facebook on occasion? I do. I I like have fun with that. Now, of course, when it gets a little too seedy, I pull it down. Because, you know, it's like, oh, it's not doing anything. I understand the limitations of social media. I don't need a lecture on that. But sometimes I just love to connect with people who think differently than I do and then ask them questions. And this one guy got really upset that I posted something, and so he posted a real scathing thing to it. I posted back to him, and I shot him a personal message and said, hey, have dinner with me. love, love. your enemies, right? He's not my enemy anyway. He's not, but I mean, he just really doesn't like what I stand for. I said, well, you know, have dinner with me. He said, oh, okay, sure. And so I sat down with dinner with him. We had a great dinner. We started talking. We're talking, talking, talking. He starts yelling about stuff in the middle of the restaurant. He's like yelling at me because I told him things about that I believe, and he's just like, you gotta be kidding me, and he's raising his hands, and you know what I'm doing? I'm just laughing, just laughing, 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 it was so much fun. It was unbelievable. And I'm like, this is awesome. And I'm just sitting there smiling at him. He's like, what are you smiling about? I'm like, I just love you, dude. You're so filled with life, even though you're so wrong. <laughs> but it really was this incredibly joyful time. And I mean, even though there were hard things we were talking about, we hugged it out at the end. I'm looking forward to my next dinner with him. I don't know where it's going to be, but it was really good. I recently had somebody publish something about me publicly uh, that did not paint me in a very positive light. And uh, that's okay. Like, my, my daughter read it, and she got pretty upset. She's like, did you see this? I'm like, yeah, don't worry about it. It's fine. She's like, really? You're okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. I said, I have had a lot of people say worse things than that about me. You know, because here's the truth. On those days that I'm at my best, I know who I am in Christ. You can't take that away from me. And by the way... When I react this way to people and respond this way to people with such joy when they're attacking me, it's not me. If I was my flesh, I would want to choke people like this. (laughs) I'm serious, dude. Like, come on. We all admit it, right? But that's be my flesh. But Christ lives in me. And he fills me with joy and peace that surpasses understanding. And I don't have to give my power away to anybody. I'm his. I am not going to let your faith determine my faith. I'm not going to let your face show me what I should believe. Say this after me. I'm not going to let your face determine my faith. See, this is why I can stand up here and get crazy about Jesus. Even so, sometimes I'm staring at people that are like this. And you're not. You're not. You're great. But, but like some people, they do. You know what I mean? And like, so it doesn't matter. Like I love Jesus, and I'm going to continue to love him because he loves me. And the more that I grow in that, the less offendable I am. Here's a couple other reasons why it's so important that you're happy in Christ. Your identity is not attached to what people think of you. You see, it's amazing how much power people give away just based on what people think of them. Can I give you a hint? Not everybody's going to like you. Hard to believe, isn't it? I still tell people, they're talking to me at times, and they're like, oh, yeah, I've got some people that really don't like me, and they're like, you're kidding me. People don't like you? I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, what is there not to like? I mean, come on. <laughs> there's a lot not to like, because I'm broken. I'm broken, just like you're broken, but here's the truth. doesn't matter. Even if I'm walking in Christ, there's going to be people that don't like me. Here's another reason why happiness is so important. Your joy is an antidote to their venom, It's an antidote. You know when somebody gets bit by a snake, they take an anti-venom and they inject it and it miraculously takes away the effects of the poison. Your joy is like that. When you have joy in Jesus and they become venomous towards you, you're just like, well, whatever. And and you know, how many of you have ever been like really angry at someone else? How does it make you feel when they're happy? And Jesus says, in doing so, you will be burning heaping coals on their heads. You know what he's saying? Show them I love them. Show them that you're not going to be affected. And they're going to walk away and go, man, I wish I had what that person has. I I wish I had that kind of joy. I wish I could stand in the midst of storms like that because I let people affect me far too much. And then if they ask, you can point them to Jesus. Because he's the one. Your connection with the Spirit gives you an intuitive sense how to handle situations that used to baffle you. This is so true. In relationships, especially difficult people, I used to struggle so much before Christ trying to figure it out. And I became manipulative, I became coercive, I became whatever. You fill in the bank just to try and manipulate people so the relationship could work. And the spirit now, at times, he just says, say that. And I'm like, I don't know why say that. He says, say this. And if I follow him, do this, serve this person, love this person this way, it's amazing how he guides. Now, here's another thing. I can agree with the adversary at times without shame or fear. What does that mean? Somebody's coming to attack you, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in a few minutes, but if you have a difficult person, they're saying difficult things about you, at times, you can agree with them. For instance, if somebody came to me right now and said, Jeff, you have absolutely nothing to offer these people. I would say, well, you know what, you're right. I don't. But Jesus Christ does. And he lives inside of me. So away from me, see? You see, I can agree with the adversary at times. Jesus in the scripture at one point says, hey, you're on the way to the court court with your adversary. Be quick to agree with him so that he doesn't throw you into jail. It's really fascinating that Jesus says this in this way because he's assuming that we're already guilty. There are things that people will accuse you of that are true of you. And you, when you can agree with them, it disarms them. <laughs> Because you're just standing ground level at the foot of the cross, and you're saying, yeah, I'm really not much in anything. But he, oh my gosh, he's amazing. And you know what? He loves me so much, he died for me. So I guess I'm worth something to him. But I'm just going to keep following him. It's not about me anyway. It's all about him, my brother. So when we are happy in Christ, we know that. And then we can agree with the adversary, not in everything, because your accuser is going to accuse you of stuff that's not true. He's going to say things to you like, you're worthless. And you go, no, I mean, Jesus... Settled the worth issue at the cross. I mean, he died for me. So I guess it worth it to him. You see? You can settle things that way, but you don't agree with him in everything. But there are times where you just have to ground level at the foot of the cross say, eh, you know what, you're right about me. Jeff, you're such a controlling man. Oh my gosh, you're so right. I am. Apart from Jesus in my life, I'd be trying to control everybody. But thanks be to God, I've made so much progress in that area of my life. Did you want to help me with that? It's very disarming to people. Because they don't expect you to be humble. They don't expect you to know the love of God so much that you can agree with them in your character defects. But you know what? When you know the love of God, you can. And you can do it with lightness, and life will go, why aren't you feeling shame? Well, he took that all the way at the cross. I'm just telling you. It's true of me. I'm working on it, though. You see, we can agree with the adversary. I'm not saying that people won't hurt you. All I'm saying is if you're happy in Jesus Christ, they cannot steal your deep joy amen amen so look uh, Jesus challenges us to love all those around us even our enemies so let's get into this psalm a little bit because the psalm says um, blessed or happy is the person who does not walk in the ways of the wicked so let's talk about that in a few minutes you're not supposed to walk in the ways of the wicked but you are supposed to love the wicked now the counsel of the wicked is that word really here in the Hebrew the counsel so how do we identify the wicked And then how do we love the wicked? Well, let's just look at wickedness on a continuum because there are things that are subtly wicked and things that are overtly wicked. And there are things that are extremely wicked and maybe not so extremely wicked. Both are toxins, but I just need to talk about the overtly wicked for a second because it's hard for me at times to hear stories from people that are in horrendously wicked situations with people that have given themselves over to such evil and they're not getting help. Can I tell you something? That is not godly. That is not godly. I think I shared with you, and this is from years ago, my first counselee ever, probably 35 years ago when I first entered into ministry. My first counselee was a woman who was being hit in the head by her husband with a hammer, literally a hammer almost every day. She was in the emergency room three to four times a week she was getting hit in the head, and she had sat with her pastor, and their pastor said, well, you've got to submit to your husband, so just tell him to stop doing it, but stay there and work it out. Can I tell you, I don't want to dis, you know, dishonor that pastor, but what he was telling her was from the pit of hell. You know why? It wasn't loving. You do not love people by enabling them to continue to practice horrific things around you. But see, you've been duped into believing by the enemy that somehow you're supposed to stand by and allow this great injustice to continue to be perpetrated upon you and around other people. Stop! Listen to God speak to you. He says, do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. That is wickedness. There's a difference between somebody telling you to cheat on your taxes and somebody inviting you to join them in murdering somebody, don't you think? So if somebody invites you to join them in a murder... You probably should call the police. It's the light and loving thing to do. Amen? Amen. Now if somebody says, "Hey, I think you should cheat on your cheat on your taxes, don't call the police." It's not the right response. There's other responses because that's more subtly wicked, but you got to get help. Of course you pray for that person. Of course you love them from a distance. So look, we have all people that that we find toxic in our lives and they counsel us to walk in the wicked and they're walking in ways of wickedness. Guess what? You need to love them from afar at times. Now, I'm not telling you, I can tell when the Spirit tells you to get close to a person like that, but all I'm telling you is you have to have distance. The scripture is very clear about this. In Proverbs, Solomon tells his son, hey, that adulterous woman, do not go anywhere close to her. She will steal your soul, dude. Back away you see what's happening? He's saying, look, godly counsel is you keep distance. So here's the person over here that's walking in the way of the wicked, especially in that extreme category, and you just got to kind of walk away, and you can say, hey, hey, I'm going to love you from over here. Over here, I'm going to love you from over here. You see, and they might say, hey, that's not love. Well, no, that is. I know it is, because right now where you are is way too toxic for me. So here's the the reason why you become resentful by people like this is because you stay around them too long. You see, you're, you're enmeshed with them. You're codependent. There's all these words on it. It's really idolatry is all it is. You're letting them be God for you. And God says, no, 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 I'm your only God. Follow me. But you're giving your power away, and then you become resentful as a result of being connected to someone who's in such a horrible, wicked place. Trust God. Create some distance. Forgive them and pray for them, but love them from afar. It's very important that you understand this. Look, people don't do this for a number of reasons. One, sometimes we're afraid. We're afraid to distance ourselves. And then there's an unhealthy sense of dependence that often comes in these kinds of relationships where we're afraid to walk away from someone who's in some kind of form of extreme evil. Look, that has consequences for your soul and other consequences as well. And I would encourage you, if you're around somebody who's doing drugs or doing something, you get away from them in a heartbeat. You still can love them. You still can pray for them. But you don't put yourself in that situation. Amen, my friend. Amen. Now, look, some people are far more subtly wicked. The the overtly wicked ones, listen, this is the phrase, our hearts remain open but our doors are nailed shut, can you say that with me, our hearts remain open, but our doors are nailed shut, you see like, my heart's still with you, I still love you, I still care for you, but right now my door's nailed shut, now if I see God changing stuff in you, then the door may become open, and I'll just lock it with a bolt lock, and then when I see things more changing, I'm going to open a window, and kind of put my head out the window, and say, how you doing out there, you know, and then if I think things are, st- I think, oh, things are improving, praise God, I've been praying for you, things are going well, okay, yes. Yeah, so now I may actually open my door just a little bit, but I'm going to keep my hand on the handle, because I've learned some stuff, you know what I'm saying? You're not going to get in and mess with my family and mess with my soul, but there's people who are more subtly wicked. Um... You know, they, they <laughs> do things in a way that is very different than this overt wickedness. The counsel that they will give you and the way in which they're walking can be very infectious. First of all, a lot of people are manipulative. My mom was a wonderful woman in the Lord, and I love her, and she's home with Jesus now, and she's radically free, so I'm sure she'd laugh at this with me. But um, <clears throat> she, at times, would get upset, and uh, she would um, get upset, and she'd say, well, I'm just going to go kill myself then. And, um, you know, I used to get really upset as a kid about that. Oh, my gosh, my mom said she's going to kill herself. And I would get really upset. And it's kind of a sad thing. But, see, I came to Jesus. He became my parent. And then he set me free. So then I began to realize, right, I began to realize that, oh, I don't really think she's mean this. Because she said it like 100 times and she's never done it. She's not even attempted it. So I remember when I'd be with her and she would go, oh, I'm just going to go kill myself. And I'm like, really? That's really important. I'm calling 911 right now. So I would make my way to the phone. And I would pick up the phone, and I would start dialing 911. She'd run over and grab the phone out of my hand, slam it on the receiver, and say, oh, I'm not going to kill myself. I'd say, well, that's good to hear. I'm really glad you're going to be okay. (laughs) See? I'm not playing the game with you anymore. I'm not going to let you manipulate me with fear anymore. I'm not going to give my power away to you anymore. If you're saying those things and you really mean them, let's get you help. Guess what happened? She stopped saying them. You know why? Because she knew that Jesus and me was nothing to be messed with. Right? You do not let people manipulate you. They will try in every way to manipulate you. You smell that stuff out with Jesus Christ. You talk to them about it. But if they don't respond, you start taking steps of exercising boundaries. And she wasn't in any real danger of hurting herself, but I didn't know that until I, you know, thought about picking up the 911 call and assessing the past and I realized it. But subtle wickedness comes in many forms. Some people will give you counsel in a way that seems less wicked because it's the inclinations of your heart already, your flesh already. But if you act upon it, it's gonna block your faith and trust in Jesus' love for you. Let me give you an example. I wanna ask for a show of hands. How many of you ever cheated on your taxes? How many of you ever been inclined, maybe when you've been given too much money and change at a cashier, to not give it back? How many of you, when you had a dent in your car and somebody hit you in an accident, you know, well the insurance company didn't really know about that anyway. I I guess I could just go ahead and fix that. It's on them. Can I tell you that that is the counsel of the wicked? You know why? Because if you're in Christ, you are a son and daughter of the Most High God, and you trust. And dad's provision for you. The Father in heaven is going to provide for you. You do not compromise your integrity because God loves you and He will provide for you in every circumstance. But you understand when you follow the counsel of the wicked and you act in these ways, you are showing tangibly that you do not trust God. And that forms the way that you live your life and you start to wilt. God says, Not so with you. You are my child. And you will walk in honesty and integrity all the days of your life because I am the one that provides for you. So when somebody recommends you cheat on your taxes, you can love them by simply saying, hmm, you know what, I, I, I just prefer to do them the way I'm supposed to do them. You know, you don't have to make a big deal out of it. You don't have to act all self-righteous. You know, um, you don't call the police on them. That would be ridiculous. Wouldn't that be fun We call the police on people like that? But you've got to remain sober and vigilant because the enemy prowls about like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour You're like, Jeff, come on. Things like this don't really affect me all that much. Oh, don't you believe that? They affect your soul far more than you think they do. And making them right is an incredible joy in the Lord. You see, your willingness to trust him and do the right thing, it shows that he loves you, and that's how he forms your heart. So how do you love this person that's giving you wicked counsel? Well, you always pray, You model obedience, and you continue to build relationship. You don't separate yourself from them in the way that you would the person who's extremely wicked, but you self-define the consequences. You tell people like this, hey, if you continue doing these things or counseling me in this way, I'm going to have to step away from the relationship. I don't want to do that because I love you. But I want you to know right now this is becoming an issue for me. Um, Years ago... You know, many of you know I was in AA for many years and uh, recovered alcoholic by the grace of God, and I was in a lot of 12-step fellowships, and I had a, a first sponsor 30-some years ago, my first sponsor, and I was so excited. This guy had like 50 years, and he was one of those guys in the room that everybody looks up to, and i got to be honest with you, he was kind of a jerk. I mean, I loved him and all, but he was just nasty, and, and I, I got, I, I was his sponsor, he and I didn't know what I was doing, and so he starts saying things to me that were horrible to me, just horrible and I'm like, oh, I guess this is the way people sponsor people, because I don't know. I guess you're supposed to beat up on me like I beat up on me the most of my life. And then I started telling my other friends, and they were like, oh, that sounds very unhealthy. And I said, it is? Because I didn't know what healthy was, see? And so um, this guy was saying toxic stuff to me, and so one of my friends said, Jeff, look, can I help you? And I said, yeah, please help me. He said, look, I think, I feel, I want. Can you say that with me? I think, I feel, I want. Jeff, you need to go to him, you mean like, go to him in person? Yes, go to him and speak to him honestly. Now, what he was counseling me was in the scripture. Put off all falsehood and speak honestly to your neighbor since you're all members of one body. You see, the scripture tells us to go to each other and make things right. So I went and sat down with this guy, let's call him John, and I was shaken like a leaf. And I said, John, I think what you said to me was inappropriate. I, I felt hurt by it, and I want you to give me an apology. <laughs> Now, I had never done anything like this in my entire life. Do you know what my insides were like? I was freaking out. I was so petrified. This guy hung his head down for like what seemed like an eternity. It was probably only a couple minutes. He's just looking at the floor, and I'm just waiting in silence. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. He's going to flip out on me. He looked up at me. He goes, he goes, Jeff, you're right. That was so inappropriate for me to treat you that way. Will you please forgive me? And all of a sudden, I heard angels. I swear I did. I said, absolutely, John, I'll forgive you. He said, you know, that's just been a way that I relate to people. And he said, I gotta really change that about me. And I said, yeah, I think you really do, but thank you for talking to me about it. And then I I fired him as my sponsor. (laughs) I mean, it was the right thing to do because I needed someone who was gonna nurture me. I needed somebody who was gonna show me the love of God, not somebody who was gonna beat up on. But I never knew people could work through stuff like that. I never knew you could be that honest to people and it could get some level of resolve where people could agree with each other and be of one mind. You see, you have to be willing to take the risk to become vulnerable and speak into folks like this and you must model a life that is worth living. Years ago, I bought an item that was rather expensive and I got it from the store and I broke it the very day that I bought it. Anybody ever done that? Is that not a huge bummer? Oh my gosh, I spent a lot of money on this thing. And so I had a buddy that was standing with me and he's looking at it and he goes, hey man, just put it back in the box, tell him it was that way, take it back to the store. And my flesh is like, yes, let's do that. Oh, come on, we'll get another one. Maybe I'll pick a different color, you know. And Jesus is right there saying, eh, not so with you. You're not supposed to walk in the counsel of the wicked. You're supposed to follow my voice of love. So, you know what I did with my friend? I, I said to him, I said, look, um, I can understand why you'd want to do that. Like, I, I agree. There's part of me that wants to do that, too. But I, I think after thinking about it and praying about it, I'm just going to take it back to the store and be honest with them about it see if they'll do anything for me. And so he said, huh, I guess that could work, too. Yeah. So I said, you want to come with me? He said, sure. So I went, I went there and I just talked to the manager and I said, look, I just bought this thing today. I broke it. And I know it's my fault. So if I have to absorb 100% of it, I'll, I'll do that. I said, but is there anything you can do for me? He said, look... Just for you being honest, he said, I'm going to give you a 50% discount on another one. I said, sold. Now, can I tell you what happened right there? God was glorified. I was not compromised, and my friend was influenced. See what happens? God was glorified. I was not compromised, and my friend was influenced. He looked at me. He goes, hey, not a bad deal. And I said, yeah. I said, this is great. And I didn't flaunt it over him. I didn't say, hey, that's what happens when you do it God ways, you evil, wicked person. That would be a horrible thing to do. Why? Because I'm a wicked person too. You realize as we talk about all these people, it's us. And if not for the grace of God, where would we be? Yeah, we've been saved by the blood of Jesus. We're supposed to live our lives differently. We're supposed to love the wicked. And and we're supposed to kind of discern in the spirit where the middle ground is, you know, because some of you are living with active alcoholics. Some of you are living with people who are drug addicted and you are enabling them. And they tell you things like, hey, don't tell anybody I'm drunk, just tell them I'm sick. And you're going around lying for them. You're covering for them. You are not loving them. You're not loving them. You're enabling them. That's a very different thing. You see, sometimes you have to let people experience the consequences of their choices. Why? So that they can find Jesus Christ. Right? Right? I read something this week, I think I'll probably butcher it, but he said, a man learns something by trying to carry a cat by the tail that he can learn in no other way. You think about that. I never tried to pick up a cat by a tail, but I've had a cat rip me up. You try and pick up a cat by the tail, you will learn something real quick. You won't be able to learn in any other way. You don't carry a cat by a tail. And if you try and keep people from learning because you think you're loving them, but you're really just enabling them, you are not loving them. That doesn't mean you go out and broadcast to the world, hey, my husband's an alcoholic or my wife's this, or whatever. You don't have broadcast it to the world, but you get help, and you start telling the truth in places where it's appropriate to tell the truth, and you let God guide you in such a way that you are bringing self-definition to the relationship, and you are saying, look, if you continue in this way, this is what will happen in our relationship, and I don't want it to happen. I want God to prevail. Will you please help me with this? Will you work with me in this? But if they don't listen to you, you bring back someone else. You see, that's what the Scripture says. And then detachment has to happen. Detachment is not unloving. Detachment can be done with love. Your heart stays open, but the doors and the windows, they start to close. And we need to understand that that's very appropriate sometimes with the wicked. Okay, let's look at loving sinners. Now look, standing in the way of a sinner shows a posture and an error. The posture is one of inactivity. Standing in the way of sinners means that there's things for you to do. There's ways in which for you to gauge, and you're just standing still. So we don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. We don't go out there and let the wicked influence the way that we live. We let Jesus guide our path. But we also don't stand with people in inactivity when something needs to be done. Now look, I can't tell you when that is for you. How many of you ever driven by the, the guy or the woman on the side of the road with the sign and the dog, and they have, you know, they're asking for money, right? I've talked to people who say, oh, I never give those people any money. Okay, well, that's your choice. I have people, I always give them money. Well, that's your choice too. I just try and listen to God. And if I'm driving by, the Spirit will say, give them something. And the Spirit will say, not today. I just trust God to guide me. Sometimes I'll throw a 20 in there, and I'll just say, hey, that's from Jesus. It's not from me. I just want you to know God loves you. And you know what? I find some of those people to be the most gracious people. I, I don't really, you know, I mean, I'm like them too. I'm a beggar. But all I just know is that when I'm able really to bless them with anything a little, something, just, thank you, God bless you. Thank you, God bless you too. Like, that's a beautiful exchange. But I'm not telling you I know when you're supposed to engage. All I know is there's something for you to engage in. And when you stand in the way of sinners, when you do that, you're standing by passively when something needs to be done. God is saying, take action in me. And you're stepping back and you're saying, no, I I can't. And let me tell you a couple reasons why that happens. The first one is this, self-absorption. You are so focused on yourself and what you need and what's going on for you that you don't have time for that. look, I understand this. I I told you last week, I had people come up to me to Walmart, you know, all the time. And there are times where I have to establish a godly boundary and say, look, I'm just trying to buy some toothpaste. Like, I love you, but can we talk later? But there are times where God says, put the toothpaste tube down. I have had some incredible encounters recently, and they seem to be ramping up right now, just in public places where God's saying, stop, lay hands on this person, and pray in the name of Jesus Christ in the middle of this restaurant. And I'm like, people will think I'm nuts. He says, you are nuts, Jeff, just do it. Okay, and so I've been doing it. I can't tell you the Shekinah glory of the Lord that's in the room. I can't tell you how my heart soars when I break cultural norms for Jesus by his grace and for his glory. I let his spirit and his power ramp up in me and I just do what he's telling me to do. I can tell you if you do this, you will be looked upon as a fruitcake. But that doesn't define you. You belong to Jesus Christ. See, but loving sinners uh, means that we encourage them. So most people are afraid. They're afraid to take risks, and, and they are self-absorbed. It's true for us, and it's true for them. So how do you love that sinner that's standing in activity? First of all, you model. You model taking action in Jesus, and you invite them along. You see, if somebody's standing in the midst of inactivity in activity, and something needs to be done, you go, hey, bro, I'm going to go over and help these people this way. You come, come on, can you come with me? Because if you come with me, come on, I'll do, I'll do it first. You just stand by, just hang out. Like, I, I'm just going to do this. You see, if you're following Jesus, always encourage someone to follow with you. Because they're going to follow you at first while you follow him. And then you're just going to keep pointing ahead. And then eventually, he's going to take control of their lives. And it's going to be so beautiful. Because you're made for something. You're made for significance. I I have been challenged in this so many times. And I've been challenged here at Adopt-A-Block. It's an incredible ministry for the glory of God. Mark talked about it this morning. And, you know, I remember going up to York in the beginning. And it was it was challenging, but it wasn't super challenging, and then I remember going up there with my brother Bob Gifford, if you guys know Bob, he's an amazing man of the Lord, and so, you know, you go up there, and it's a great neighborhood, lots of really good people, really cool people, love them, they know the Lord, many of them, but there are gangs up there, there are like people with guns and drugs and all kinds of stuff up there, and it's, they're, they're hanging out on the streets, and so at one point, there was a gang, a literal, like a gang of people hanging out on the corner, it's a literal gang, not just a group, a gang. Okay, and so I'm thinking, all right, well, Bob, we're going to walk around this way, right? You know? And Bob grabs me by the hand, and he drags me right into the middle of this gang, and he goes, we're going to pray the demons out of here. And I'm like, dude, you're nuts. Maybe you're going to pray the demons out of here, but I'm, I'm going to. But Jesus says, stop, follow me. Follow Bob as he follows me. You see, follow Bob as he follows me. So Bob goes in there and starts praying, and these people, he grabs their hands, and he starts praying with them right there in the corner. And I'm like, this is nuts, but I love this. Oh, my gosh, this is crazy. I love this. Oh, my gosh, I'm on for a ride, Jesus. Check it out. And Bob is teaching me how to trust God. You see, he invited me along, and he encouraged me in my faith. He challenged me in my faith. Do you have people in your life like that? If you don't, maybe you're avoiding them. If you do, praise God, make use of them. Here's a better question are you that person for anybody else? See, if you really want to love that person that's standing in the way of sinners and is locked into a pattern of inactivity, you got to be following Jesus yourself and just invite him along with you. You're not responsible, God is. Let him have the final outcome. So we're called to love those that walk in the way of the wicked, to love those that stand in the way of sinners, and we're called to love the mockers. Now look, with the short period of time I have left, this is probably the most difficult people that I have to love. Why? Because these are the complainers, they're the negative Nellies, and they're the critical people. And they're critical of me, and I don't like that. Anybody say amen? You see, they want to find fault with you, and it's really hard for you to know how to love them. Now, think about the posture. You had those that walk in the way of the wicked, those who stand in the way of the sinners. These people sit down, and they go, oh, you could just do it a whole lot better. I can't believe you. Look at that. What a mess you made. Oh, my gosh. God can't even love you. Like, you know, they're criticizing you. They're mocking you. They're making fun of you. Look, if you do anything for the kingdom of God, you are going to be criticized. Do you think in the midst of this whole time, we as leadership and I as lead pastor have not been criticized? Oh my gosh, there are people that want to do nothing but criticize us. Now, by the way, there's constructive criticism. So we want to invite criticism that changes us and makes us more like Jesus and helps make things better. That's why when you come to me and you say, we really ought to have this ministry, I'm the first one to say, God has laid that on your heart. Let's get you in that leadership role. And most of you back up and go, no, I just wanted to criticize And I go, well, come on, if God's put that on your heart, you're probably going to lead it. There's more people like you. Some of you take me up on it, others don't. I go, wow, it's just not God's timing. But but here's the thing. If you get criticized, you have to understand something. The decision has already been made in heaven about your worth and your value and your identity. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, and he said, you are my child. That is your identity. And when you love people who are critical towards you, you can, as we said before, sometimes just agree with them. Sometimes people are critical to me and I go, mm, well, you know what, you might be right about that. I'm just gonna go pray. And they go, really? Yeah, no, really, you might be right about that. I, I don't know. Uh, I will go take that to the Lord. Thank you, thank you for that deposit. And, and they're wanting me to react, right? Because a lot of times critical people want you to react. Why are most people overtly critical? I'll tell you why. Because they want to avoid the mess in their own yard. Now think about it. Everybody has your own yard. That's your responsibility with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes into your house and into your yard, and he says, hey, I want this place to be beautiful because I love you. So we're going to clean it up, and we're going to take care of the stuff on the inside and the outside. But you're over in your neighbor's yards, pointing out why the tulips aren't growing well, when your yard is filled with crabgrass and dog dirt oh, you really ought to do that better. Why? Why are you doing that? Because you want to avoid your own yard. See, most people are critical of you because they want to avoid their own stuff. So what can you do to love them? Be humble. Talk to them about the places you're weak. Tell them where you're insufficient. Say, yeah, I've been really working on this about me, and, you know, it's, it's been rough because it's taken years, and I'm, I'm still in transition, but I blow it off and, You see, if you're humble, then it models for them a life of humility where they have the freedom to start looking at themselves. It's the best chance they have. I'm not saying they still won't be critical. I'm not saying you don't have to create some boundaries. I'm just saying that underneath those critical people are deeply insecure people. And they're taking everybody else's inventory because they want to stay out of their own. Why do they want to stay out of their own? Because they do not know the grace of God. When you know the grace of God... You can follow the scripture that says, let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. You see, God is light. So when they come to you and they say, well, you got it wrong again, you can go, yeah, you know, I did this time, but Jesus still loves me and I'm just grateful. I'm just gonna keep going, you know? They'll say things to you like, you'll never be enough. No, I don't have to be enough. Jesus Christ is enough for me. You see, so you can, you can disarm some of that by just agreeing with them as we talked earlier. And, and you can say, thanks be to God through Christ." that I don't have to change in order for him to love me. I tell you, Jesus Christ loves you right where you are. Now, we've said it before. He loves you too much to leave you there. But you've got to understand something. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are and what he did for you. He died on the cross for you. And that determines your value. So, the scripture says, God wants us to be like trees. He wants our roots to be dug deep into his love letter, into the soil of his love in such a way that we bear fruit. He wants us to be fruit-bearing trees. So how many of you think you will see a tree today? I'm going to ask you to do something this week. Every time you see a tree, say, God, I want to be like a tree for you. I want my roots to be so deeply dug into the soil of your love that I bear fruit for the cause of your kingdom. God, help me to not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but to love the wicked. Help me not to stand in the way of sinners, but to be a friend of sinners like you are. God, help me not to sit in the seat of mockers, but to help them understand that your grace is sufficient for them to actually look at themselves rather than taking everybody else's inventory. Do you know that other in God and people, the Bible mentions trees more than any other living thing? Did you know that? I'm reading a book by Matthew Sleeth called Reforesting Faith right now. It's a beautiful book. Listen to what he says. There is a tree on the first page of Genesis, in the first Psalm, on the first page of the New Testament, on the last page of Revelation. Every significant theological event in the Bible is marked by a tree, whether it's the fall, the flood, the overthrow of Pharaoh. Every major event in the Bible has a tree, a branch, a fruit, a seed, or some part of a tree that's marking this spot. Jesus said, I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. The wisdom of the Bible is the tree of life, and we are told to be like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit Season. Moreover, every character in the Bible appears in conjunction with a tree. In the Old Testament, Noah received the olive leaf, Abraham sat under the oaks of Mamre, and Moses stood barefoot in front of a burning bush. At first glance, Joseph might appear to be an exception, but the Bible tells us that Joseph simply is a tree. question is do you want to be a tree? Trees are beautiful, and you know what? They grow, they're strong. Did you ever try and run into a big tree? Don't do it. You'll hurt yourself really bad. You know why? They're strong and their roots go deep. You know some of the oldest living things on the face of the earth are trees. God says, I want you to be like that. I want your roots to go deep into my love in such a way that you trust me, that you chew on my word and you know how much I love you and that love changes everything about the way that you live. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, we acknowledge before you that apart from you, we are the wicked. We are those that stand in the way of sinners, and we are those that sit in the seat of mockers. Lord Jesus, we thank you that those things do not define us if we have a relationship with you. But Lord God, help us not to allow those folks in those places to influence us. Help us not to be those folks, but Lord, help us to love everybody all the time, even those who are most difficult. Father, sometimes loving someone means great in some distance. Sometimes it means getting close. Sometimes it means being honest, and sometimes it means being still and quiet. Father, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you, as so we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would bring guidance to us as we seek to love all those around us. Thank you, God, that you are faithful, that your love endures forever. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm to invite the prayer team to come forward today. And as we close with this final song, if you'd like to come up for some prayer. Maybe you're in a place where you realize some things about yourself and God wants to do some work, whether it's the people that in your life that you're not loving well or maybe it's some of the places that you're seeing yourself in the Word of God. I want to encourage you to come forward and let someone pray for you today. Let's all stand together and sing one final closing song.